and welcome to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and every live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by producer and co-host Alex Wong. What's going on, Alex? Did you spend your entire weekend trawling for salacious details in regards to Nick Nurse and his coaching staff like the rest of diehard Raptor fans were, waiting on every successive column to hear more and more dirt? Yeah, of course. Everybody wants the Nick Nurse tea, so we're going to have a little afternoon tea party. Uh, first of all, for people watching visually, too, Will's wearing a hat today just because he's getting ready to do a lot of capping this hour, pretty sure. <laughs> That's what he's going to be doing. That's what he does on the show all the time. That's what we do, baby. That's <laughs> yeah. what we do. We show. We got, we, some, we got some playoff basketball, too. Um, unfortunately, have another Dylan Brooks update for you. I, I saw a really <laughs> great story about Dylan Brooks. In the Guardian of all places. Oh, by our friend of the program, Oren yes, Weisfeld. That's right. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Wow. But some, some friend you are. Definitely going to get to that. I, I already got to it, man. Oh, okay. Just like I'm getting to your uh, manuscript. Oh, that's right. Yes. Will has uh, obtained a copy of a manuscript to Prehistoric. Mm. Graciously asked him to provide a blurb. It's, it's what you do when you write books. Ask your friends to blurb it for you. That's that's why they're all going to be positive, man. No one's going <laughs> to, again, I'm just getting ready to shill, man. Once again, man, this guy's getting ready to do a lot of capping. So I got like my Hong Shing hat on. No, but you know, like Friday we came in here obviously from the Maasai presser and like processing the news of Nick. Sure. Had a weekend to, to really think about it. Obviously, lot lots of um lots of news, you know, lots of articles coming out, hearing about, you know, the many reasons for, for Nick's departure and some of the main things is, you know, friction between the front office and Nick about playing some of the guys on the roster. Mm. And it was interesting too to hear about the friction between Nick and the coaching staff. Um, you know, Doug Smith, Toronto Star cited a uh, rather frosty relationship between Nick and Earl Watson Interesting. Um, during the season. And, and J. Lou of the other network reported that an assistant was sent home for a game during a road trip. I wonder who that assistant was. Without the front office's yeah. knowledge. And of course, our own, uh, you know, Sportsnet's own Michael Grange uh, wrote a great article on this as well, um, you know, tackling some of these things. So thought I'd get Grange on the line for this uh, afternoon tea party. Okay. Um, so we've got we've got Grange on the line to to join us to to talk about Nick and uh, other Raptors things. Uh, what's going on, Grange? How are you? How's everybody? <laughs> We're all right, Grange. Are you good? <laughs> I'm good. I'm just I'm just getting a, the echo. Like I'm hearing my voice in my ear. Can you guys call me right back? All right. All right. Yeah. We're, we're gonna get our producer on that. Yeah. We're gonna call you right back. But yeah. Well, what was your? What did you make? Just you know, a couple days processing the Nick Nurse firing. Uh. Well, I mean, I, I think first off, like, it was interesting even just watching the whole fallout of this. I think it, when it really started was when Nick came out and made those comments in Philly, right? And what's been interesting is, you know, typically the way um, people would build relationships with the media, if they choose, if they so choose to, which coaches always do, um, you you have like maybe supporters and backers, you know, just like anybody, right? Like, you know, two people, sides, people, two people, sides to everything. People who like you, people who don't. Yeah, I, I just. It's funny in this situation seeing like the universal reaction is he's got to go. Yeah, no, that's fair. You know what I mean? And and I, since then, you know, obviously this is standard fare. People trying to explain what happened, right? The details come out. Um, and that's just the job of reporters. But I, I did think that it was interesting that even as it happened, like he got 0% public support media-wise. It wasn't like, hey, you guys are going too hard at Nick Nurse. Or no, no one wrote a column like, hey, Nick Nurse is not at fault for uh, what's going on here. Everyone was like, all right, he shouldn't have said this, and uh, we'll see what happens. But anyway, Grange, we, we got you on the line. We were just talking about the idea that, like, since 
uh, he made his comments in Philly, it feels like the the commentary around Nick has been sort of universally um, negative. Like I, I felt, I, I thought it was interesting that nobody really stepped out and was like, "Hey, let's just defend Nick on this one." It, was that interesting to you as well? It was a little bit interesting, I guess, from the point of view of. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, I think the way he handled it subsequently when he was, you know, people were actually able to ask a follow-up or two on it. And, you know, he was, you know, pretty dismissive of it. Mm. And I think also the fact that, you know, his reasoning for why he he even had to kind of address the subject in the first place was was accurate. And, you know, and then even in his end of season, uh you know, media conference, he, he kind of went down the same road and, and, you know, like I was, I said to him, I go, the way you're explaining it isn't the way it happened. Isn't, you know, the fact that no one had ever asked him about his uh, future or or what was going to be happening in the off season. That was, you know, there was Doug Smith wrote a story and uh, you know, and no one else had talked about it before that. And then the first chance anyone had a chance to ask him about it, he shut it down. And, and so I think that, sort of hurt his credibility a little bit or his case a little bit. Like had he, you know, had he allowed it to kind of air out a little, people would have maybe looked at things a little different. Um, and I think also, um, you know, I think for a guy who was ultimately fired, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I think the big thing is, is he kind of got the sense that Nick was very okay with being fired mm-hmm. and, um, and everyone was kind of okay with Nick being fired, acknowledging all he'd done, right? Like he'd done, you know, out of the five years, I mean, he'd done really good work in most of them. And, um, you know, I'm not even of the camp that says he was at fault for everything that happened this year. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I just think that, um, you know, these things run their course. And and that's that's sort of, from my point of view, I can't speak for other people, but but how I handled it. Yeah. Um, By the way, if you want more details on this, Grinch has a, a column up. On sportsnet.ca, firing Nick Nurse uh, was straightforward. Where the Raptors go next isn't as clear. Um, and in this piece, you have a couple of uh, details in terms of, obviously, like, you know, why the relationship fell apart or sort of where the front office and, and, and management or and, and coaching didn't see eye to eye in this case. So can you walk us through a couple of the examples of, you know, what what, what did the front office want more of that ultimately led them to severing this relationship? Yeah, I think the, you know, the overarching theme for sure and I mean Masai kind of kept hitting on it over and over again was there just a sense of malaise a lack of spirit a lack of energy excitement um, enthusiasm whatever it might be and you know so you're okay well how does that manifest itself and why is it you know why does the lack of it seem to be such an issue here and you know a couple of different things did come up and you know, one thing, as you guys, everyone's touched on, is just the the way he managed his, um, you know, the younger players on the roster in terms of a steady diet of playing time, not just this year, but last year. And I think that kind of, um, you know, I think that really rankled management. I think it uh, set the team back a little bit. And, you know, in Nick's defense, I mean, he's trying to squeeze out as many wins as he can. So he's going to play his best six or seven guys and, you know, everyone else can figure it out. Um, but, you know, I think that, that it does create a problem. I think there was also kind of a morale problem on the team. Like when, when you're, you know, got half of your roster who just barely plays or when they do or they don't play, it's kind of a mystery to everybody. 
um, I think over time that's a, there's a bit of a corrosive effect there. Um, and yes, we certainly all are you know, examples of players coming into the lineup and not having any insight as to why, and then not being in the lineup and not necessarily having very much insight into why. I think so. I think that's one thing. I think you know the the assistant coach stuff is you know that's not why Nick gets fired, but I think it uh, it does create kind of an atmosphere where you know it is is everyone on the same page is is um you know is the coach really managing his staff as well as it need be does um is there a lot of trust between the staff and i mean these staffs are huge now right like i mean right. i think there's nine assistants and there's four other video coaches slash development coaches like you're, you're basically got 13 players aside from 13 people aside from medical who are in some way shape or form hands-on with players um, and if, you know, so by definition, the head coach is probably a little more hands off. And if he's not believing, trusting, uh, empowering, uh, or perceived to be doing all those things, then, you know, then you're going to run into problems and, you know, you, you know, you, you would hear it occasionally through the season. I know talking to a couple of assistant coaches on other teams, you know, it's a very small universe out there and everyone seems to know somebody. And you would kind of get that feedback where it's like, you know, the, 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 the vibes were not good, so to speak. It wasn't um, a really cohesive group, I think was the word I used. And, and again, I would point out that that's not incredibly unusual. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, it's, it's not, you know, it's, you know, it's not unusual for a head coach to be a little, sometimes get paranoid of some of the assistants. That's why a lot of times, you know, some assistants and it's been here in Toronto now for a couple of uh, head coaches where, you know, assistant coaches aren't allowed to talk to the media, um, you know, because they just don't want messages being mixed. And, for, you know, if one guy, one assistant coach is talking, then the other assistant coaches wishes he could have his profile being raised, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but I think, it, again, when you're struggling, not meeting expectations, these things get ex- exacerbated. Um and I think, you know, those are kind of, and then I think the third thing was, was, you know, and it kind of falls under the heading of accountability and are you really, um, you know, holding players to, you know, to a certain standard on a consistent basis, uh, regardless of where they stand on your roster. And I think, um, you know, and I think that was something that I, I know, I feel like management felt was lacking a little bit. Um, you know, like with the younger players, it wasn't just enough to kind of, you know, you just can't say, you know, you've got to be really specific and structured in terms of how you're you're bringing them along and, and rewarding or not rewarding them with playing time. That didn't always happen. And then I think, you know, in a, you know, in a larger sense, you know, you've got a team, you know, selfishness keeps getting referenced and whatever else, you know, complacency. I mean, you know, at some point, the head coach has to be, you know, a person who can kind of sniff that out, root it out, and stamp it out. And I don't think that was uh, necessarily happening at a, you know, a level that management was happy with. I mean, obviously, if they were, they were, you know, maybe Nick would still be working. And, um, you know, and I think, it, you know, I'm just kind of surmising here, but, you know, you, you know, I do have examples of where Masai would have to, uh, you know, speak to the team, address the team at different junctures, you know, talking to different players about that. And, um, 
you know, on one level, I think it's good, <laughs> you know, to have a management figure, an executive figure who really carries a ton of weight, you know, like kind of like a Pat Riley type thing, not to say Messiah and Pat Riley are in the same breath, but, um, but, you know, also it puts the management in a difficult situation where if you're doing it, you know, more than on the rarest occasions, you know, are you undermining the coaches because the coach doesn't have the, you know, the proper or the, the you know, the, the means to be doing on his own. And I think that was kind of one of the things that, that was kind of surfaced as, as they went through this process, you know, not just the last week or so, but over the course of the season. Sorry, over the course of the season. Yeah, I think too, like to the point about the lack of playing time for the young players, which I thought was, uh, stood out to me, just like, you know, reading your story, you know, I guess my pushback would be too, if I was Nick, is like, you know, you look at the young players on this team, obviously I know Scotty, um, you know, you know, played a lot. Precious was up and down, had injuries. But then you go down the list, you look at guys like, you know, Malachi Flynn, you know, Delano Banton, like Jeff Down Jr., basically every every backup guard. Like, the roster wasn't, like, stocked with guys who, you know, even when given an opportunity, show that they deserve more, right? So that, yeah. that to me is, like, I feel I almost feel like, and again, I know that it's not, you're not firing Nick for this one particular reason. I think all the stuff that you mentioned, you know, as, as a whole, you know, does justify the firing, but this particular point to me is like, you know, at some point, you know, that's on the front office too, to, to give him, you know, equip him with a good enough roster that he's got guys that he can play. Oh, and I, I've been clear on that. I mean, I wrote about that on Friday. I'm, I'm touching on it, something I'm doing right now. I mean, um, you know, the, I think the, the way management would, you know, the way they would explain it is they don't, they don't feel like they know what they have um, because of, you know, it could be very well be true <laughs> that Malachi Flynn is not a guy who can help you win NBA games at a regular, on a regular level. Like you could just go down to, through the list, and they might not be good enough. Um, and but I think the flip side of that would be we can't be sure because we just haven't seen them be put in situations consistently enough where they can succeed. And you know, but but there's you, you know, and I it's. You'd be, it's absurd <laughs> to think that this roster is without holes and that it was, you know, it underachieved to the extent it did purely because of coaching. In fact, you could almost argue it got to where it did because of coaching, um, which created its own problem. But, um, you know, I, I, like, I'm not saying these are justified, you know, but I just think that, and I think also, I, I do think there is a part of this where, like, it got to a certain stage where, you know, I think these questions are being raised. You took a, you, you look at that two-month period between the end of November, that's the kind of Brooklyn November, or sort of the Brooklyn, uh, uh, New Orleans, those two games, um, to right through to kind of the first week of February there when stuff's really heading, uh, heating up around the trade deadline. I think they were 12 and 21 over that stretch. Um, and, you know, had Nick been fired, at that point, I think Nick would have like, you know, he would have been fine with it. <laughs> you know, I really don't think he would have felt like he'd been hard done by. And I think similarly, if Nick had gone through this whole process and said, I definitely want to keep this job. I see where, you know, I can make some changes. Um, you know, I think I'm the best guy for this group and let's, let's do it. And if you want to give me one more year and uh, on top of the one I got, I'll, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like if, if that had been the energy, then maybe they would have found a middle ground and, and, and he'd still be here. But I think 
Yeah, I think on both sides there was that. I think Nick looks at this team, um, I'm sure he does, and looks at it and goes, you know, where is the next step with this group? And, uh, you know, and if I'm not going to be given real support, uh, either financially or in any, any other sense, then, you know, I'm not sure I want to go into my, my last year of this deal, uh, you know, with this group. Um, so I think that's that's exactly to what you're saying. Yeah, no, that, w- that would be fair because I think that for a lot of people who, you know, really like Nick or or who are confused by this idea that, that he would get moved on, it's like, well, if you're telling me that Nick got let go because he didn't play Malachi Flynn more or Delano Banton more, it's like, I mean, come on, right? Like, uh, you know, I think for a lot of fans, they're not really seeing much from those guys anyway. Um, but I, I think for me, the, the curious thing is, you know, in terms of the relationships with the more important players, the players that end up playing 40 minutes a night who, who um, you know, are in the starting lineup, things like that. Do you, do you, did you get the sense that Nick was still able to reach them in the same way that you would need to uh, in order to be effective as a coach? I mean, I, I think so. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I can only go by what, you know, Nick said, or sorry, Fred said, and, and OG said, and, and like, even Pascal. Like I, I, I mean, what are they supposed they to had... say, Grinch? If they, if they went on that podium that day and was like, yeah, you know, Nick, uh, we're not so hot on Nick. I mean, it would be a huge story, right? So It would. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think that, you know, even down the last, down the stretch there, you know, just talking to people close to the situation, thought Nick was pretty dialed in, thought that, the you know, he had things going the right direction. I think Fred's pretty, you know, if he wanted to sound lukewarm on Nick, he could probably do it without, you know, without creating that big a story. And, and I thought he was, I was almost surprised by the endorsement he had. Mm. You know, he could have endorsed Nick and said, hey, look, he's an awesome coach, but I understand this business, things change. That's not what he said. Sure. You know, he said sure. he's an awesome coach, and I'd be surprised if he's not back. Um, OG, similarly. And, you know, Pascal, you know, they've had definitely their issues. I've documented them, um, but I think they function. But I just think, you know, I just think that there was overall, um, Maybe not the right enthusiasm for the task at hand um, that, you know, Masai is looking for from his head coach and his staff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, but that's a lot of chicken and egg there. You know, yeah, like uh, you're, you know, you're trying, you're putting your, you're knocking your head against the wall. You've got a roster where nobody can shoot or not enough guys can shoot. Uh, for most of the season, you played without a center. Um you know, you've, you'd have, you haven't had a backup point guard in two years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's, you know, you can make the case and, and whether it was, you know, the way they play was Nick Nurse trying to reinvent the wheel or was him going, you know, my understanding of how they decided to kind of, you know, use the possession game as, as their, their kind of secret sauce really stemmed from them no longer having Marcus Hall and Serge Ibaka and then no centers at all, frankly, once they realized, you know, they couldn't really use out Flynn and, uh, and Baines back in, in Tampa. And so they kind of said, okay, we're going to try things a little differently. And even this year, as we've talked about, they executed that, you know, they, they, they achieved, you know, the shot differentials they wanted, the possession differentials they wanted, but they were just always undone by, you know, poor shooting and, uh, the kind of the lack of resistance once teams didn't turn it over. Um, so, you know, you could say, Nick, you, you got to give Nick credit for that because that was what he was trying to do. And for the most part, they did it. I think it's a hard way to play. I think you saw lots of occasions where the team, 
executed it, you know, at a pretty high level. And um, so I never, you know, I, I, you know, I don't sit here and go, yeah, this team quit, this guy quit on neck or that guy quit on neck or, you know, I just didn't see it. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I, if you're not all the way in as a head coach and, you know, then you probably, you know, you need to find another spot. No, that's fair. Um, okay. We got to get to the, the, the two juicy points. So number one, this rift in the, in the, uh, in the coaching staff, um, can you take us behind the scenes in terms of like, what are we talking about here? Cause you know, we never get to hear from the, 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 the assistants. Right. Um, I think, I think by the way, Nick also even brought mentioned in his, uh, year end press conference. He's like, you know, you, you know, we, we could bring the assistants up here and, uh, we, I'm like, could we, could we Nick? But anyway, um, yeah. What, what, what's, what's going on there? Yeah, I just think that there was a little bit, like as I said before, it's a big staff. Um, I think when you look at the makeup of the staff, there's guys who were, you know, kind of um, have a long history with Nick. And, you know, for all obvious reasons, we'll be super loyal with him. And uh, then you have some guys who were brought in more recently. And, and, you know, I think, you know, maybe have certain attachments to to certain players. I know there was a you know, it was important, very important when Pascal Siakam, they were trying to get him back on track, and that's where you saw Earl Watson come in, who's got a long relationship with Pascal through his agent <clears throat> and through Rico Hines, who's, you know, had a long relationship with the whole organization in the summers, but mm-hmm. also is, you know, a guy who's really close with Pascal. So, you know, you have a bit of that. And, you know, again, I'm, I've, I'm not going to oversell this. Like I, I'm not going to sit here and just say I have, you know, uh, a lot of insight into exactly the, the um, interplay that was there. But as I said, you got a big staff from different backgrounds. Um, I don't think very much of this bubbled over, but I think at times there was some, some stress and some tension, um, you know, and I think some of this, his some speculation that I think Nick was concerned about Earl Watson, but I, you know, again, I don't have any of that firsthand. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why I didn't occur included in my article. And I just think that, you know, or what I know was is there was a reputation or an understanding that the staff wasn't on the same page and kind of pulling in the same rope, uh, you know, on the same rope at the same time as, as would be ideal. And I think, you know, and that, uh, you know, that, again, I guess people have told me that reflects on the head coach. I'm not saying, sure. you know, I'm sure Nick would tell the story very differently. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and, you know, that is, especially when things sort of start to fall out, right? I mean, you, you know, there's like, um, people will come to you with information, but you got to really think about where they're coming from and, and whose perspective is that being shared. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the other thing too, you, you mentioned that briefly, but, I think when you see a head coach like oh like this, you start to look through all their history. And obviously, there was that episode in Tampa with Nick and Pascal. I remember the game very clearly. The Raptors were losing against the Cavaliers, and it wasn't this Cavaliers team. Trust me, it was a it was a much different Cavaliers. I think Dean Wade was still there, but it was like Colin Sexton. Dean Wade's still there, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like you know, like it's it, it's it was a different Cavs team. Mm-hmm. But I I remember the Raptors were starting slow, and then. You know, they, they closed the game, I think, with Stanley Johnson and, and Pat McCaw in the fourth quarter. I don't think Pascal saw the floor until maybe late in the in the game. And there was that dispute afterwards. It was reported on by, by Shams that year. Shams had a lot of info on the Raptors uh, that season. But, um, Grange, can you just 
I mean, not not to go over old history, but it, it is probably worth mentioning, especially now that Nick is gone. Like, what was the deal there? Um, I think I reported it at the time and certainly in the feature I did on Pascal, it was, it was an intense, uh, it was intense. It was, uh, you know, it was a coach and player kind of, I think Pascal's, Pascal's frustration was not, you know, I'm supposed to be a primary player. I'm not in floor four in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I think there'd been maybe one other incident too, uh, like in terms of playing time. And it just kind of boiled over again, tough year in Tampa, all the rest of it. Yep. And it was, you know, it wasn't, it was the way it was explained to me at the time was it wasn't your standard coach player blow, blow up. It was, you know, and Pascal was, kind of took it to the next level, so to speak. And, uh, mm. you know, I, I'm not going to say on radio what I've been told, but uh, it was, you know, like I, what I reported was what I reported. And, right. but, you know, in saying all of that, um, you know, they had a really good season working together the year after. These things do uh, find a way of of uh, getting resolved, and I don't think that's the reason or had any reason right. in what's going on here. So um, I would love to give you guys every little tidbit of gossip I've ever heard, but, you know, I'm not going to do that because, uh, you know, I'm the person who has to be accountable for that. So that's I hate to break your hearts. Oh, no, that's, that's, that, that's, that's what the arena is for. That's, what, that's, what, that's all we <laughs> yeah, talk that's and right. practice and stuff. Um, Grange, so you know, I love to I love to put together parlays myself. So, do you think the parlay of Nick Nurse to Houston and Ime Udoka to Toronto? You think that's a good parlay? I mean, it's okay. <laughs> you know, I, okay. I, I you know I, I I don't think any of those things are guaranteed. You know, I just think it's uh, I am I, I you know I think a lot of this stuff is just is just conjecture i'm not saying there's no fire at all because there's certainly plenty of smoke but um you know i know the raptors are going to be looking at several names i'm sure you adoka who's got you know he's got a chance to write a ticket here he's kind of a hot commodity i'm sure he's going to be very careful about uh where he signs and with who um and i'm sure houston and even more so after the draft lottery you know they could be the destination for um, you know, they're going to get a lot, of, you know, they're going to get their choice of candidates too. So, um, it's a reasonable parlay, but I mean, it's a parlay, right? So you're probably going to lose. <laughs> Appreciate that. No, I think too, with, the, with you know, obviously Emei's name being in like all the coaching, um, you know, vacancies, like, you know, this would be a slightly different case given the way that he, you know, left the Boston Celtics job, was let go from the job. And I think there's still a lot of murky details around it and all this stuff, like, what do you think the steps are for the Raptors as an organization that they have to take in order to be comfortable with, with making that hiring? Because there is going to be a, a PR side of this too, right? Oh, big time. And I think comfortable is the word and the way, you know, you need to be in this situation. I can only go by what, you know, they've done in the past, right? And, and you know, they have had players in here who have had, um, you know, domestic incidents, incidents, in their in their past and and you know they've dealt with those in certain ways um if you go back to the aj griffin thing where you know uh he was about to be hired or was certainly in the in the running for the job and with the bulls and and you know some stuff from his past bubbled up and you know and i think what they've done in these cases is they they do their own due diligence they you know make sure that um, and by the way, uh, the Adoka thing, Adoka thing, there's no 
domestic violence component to it. So let's not confuse the issues here. Um, you know, but I think they just need to go and be sure that what happened and how it happened is something that they can live with. That's something that is, you know, if whatever standards are in place here can be met and kept and that everyone who has to sign off on it right up to ownership is comfortable with it. Um, so, you know, I think, um, yeah, so I think it's just that. It's just it's just a lot of background, a lot of due diligence, a lot of conversations, and a lot of people who, you know, have, you know, the reputations and the, the image of the organization at stake have to be uh, fully aware of, you know, what other, whatever risks, if there are any risks, to taking on any new hire. But I guess with Udoka, there's, you know, kind of a recent example. And, you know, I think the flip side of that is, um, you know, it sounds like it was an interpersonal thing and it was, it was, uh, against team policy and, you know, he, he sat out a year, he lost his job. So, I mean, does that prevent him from being candidate for any other job going forward? Um, you know, that's something the Raptors are going to have to be comfortable with, but I suspect he'll probably work in the NBA again. Yeah. Um, how, how far did he get in terms of the rounds of interviews back in 2018 before they ultimately won one there? I think he was up there. Um, I think at the time, it just the feeling was he was just like too. He wasn't experienced enough. I mean, uh, which is ironic because they, you know, they hired Nick, who, who also didn't have NBA head coaching experience. But I, you know, he did have decades of head coaching experience right. as well as they knew him really well from as an internal candidate. So, uh, you know, I think depending on who you talk to, you know, Bud was. So the, the one who got away, um, I think, you know, Nick was the next, you know, some would say that they, they chose not to hire Bud, that they preferred Nick in the first place. Sure. And that, you know, Nick emerged out of, you know, a, a pool of candidates included. I think Rick, Rick Kalamian was one of them and mm-hmm. Imano Doka was another. And, you know, I think he was a very serious candidate, but I just think it was the job. He wasn't, it wasn't time for him to have that job. That's fair. Um, and then, yeah, if it's not Ime, which is um, the, the name that's been most commonly linked, I mean, who else do you think could be in the mix? Would Earl be in the mix? Because that, that'd be yeah, spicy. I'd be, yeah, I'd be very surprised if it's Earl. Okay. Um, right. The, uh, no, you know, I mean, not that Earl's not, you know, I'm sure he'll end up as a head coach somewhere, but, you know, I just don't think that, that it's it would be him. So it's not a Nick Nurse, uh, Casey situation? No, I don't think so. Gotcha. I'd be... You know, unless you can't Adrian Griffin. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I think Adrian Griffin will be, you know, there'll be, he'll get a serious consideration. I think I'll, I'll be interested to see how far Patrick Matumbo gets in the process. Mm. Um, you know, when you talk about, you know, when you, you, the reference to energy and spirit and um, accountability and character, like, you know, like like Patrick Matumbo checks a lot of boxes, and um, again, his shortcoming would be not only had NBA head coaching experiences, but head coach experience. He's at I guess the two years in the G League, I think. Um, but you know, I think uh, he would rate really strongly in some of the other areas, and um, you know, and I think you're gonna see some names a little bit off the board, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I I don't think it'll be an internal candidate. Um, 
And, you know, Udoka certainly gets keeps getting mentioned, so I presume he's kind of the favorite. Mm. Uh, but I think that there is a process involved. And, you know, I, the, the one name that I've seen out there that kind of kind of raised some eyebrows for me was, was Patrick Patumbo. I think he, uh, just because of what I said, I think he, he would meet a lot of criteria if he could get over the experience element. Fair enough. Alex? Anything yeah. else? No, that's Any other it. Info you want to get from Grinch? No, no, I, I think. Um, so, Grinch, what do you do with your summer now that uh, now that we're done obsessing about the Raptors for until at least the draft? <laughs> uh, well, it'll be busy, right? Trying to figure out who's going to get hired as a coach and okay. you know what changes they are going to make, and then mm. uh, there's some Canada basketball stuff to deal with, and there's that's right, you know, Kentucky's coming. That's right. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's going to be really good, fun this summer, man. That's going to be really cool. Yeah, and uh, shout out to Nate Mitchell, who's that coach of that U23 team, did a great job with them last year. Yep. Is he sticking around, um, by the way? No, he's he I he is he is not sticking around, as far as I know. So, yeah, tough, uh, yeah, tough one. But uh, he'll land on his feet. He's he's yeah, got a good reputation. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it's funny. Like you kind of the season ends and you figure out ah, what to do now, and then you kind of wake up and there's oh, there's about ten things I should probably do. So, okay, fair um, it'll 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 filter out. <laughs> so, right. no, we're, don't worry about me. Thanks, so. All right. Well, we'll, we'll bug you again, Grange, uh, soon yeah, enough. But uh, appreciate your time. Read everything okay. Grange does on sportsnet.ca. And, uh, yeah, Grange, uh, if we don't see you again until the next uh, press conference, um, you know, we'll, we'll hear more of the salacious off-air details uh, then. All right? Sounds good. All right. Be good, guys. Take care. All right. All right. That was uh, our very own Michael Grange. You satisfied? Did you, did you feel like answers were given? Yeah. You happy? Why did you take off your cap? You stopped capping? Um, I, th- I think JR, our producer, Message me on Twitter and said, "Take the hat off." So I, I, <laughs> why? Why did you I, fold I, I, to Jr. I, I, man? I when to have one we? Person. When have we ever listened right, to Jr. Fine, fine. The hat's going back on. How about that? No, I think I think the next thing. Yeah. No, I think the next thing is interesting. Like hearing about all the different uh, factors. And I think the thing I come away with is just like we've talked about this. Is like being a head coach is more than just about. The, the X's and O's. What's what's the other one that you say? The Jimmy's and yeah, Joe's. It's, it's about the Jimmy's and it Joe's. It is about the Jimmy's. Like the it people's skills. Camp, yeah, you... it, it was. No, but like the, the, the people uh, skills part of it yeah, is, yeah. is interesting, right? Like even you digging back up the, uh, which Grange was thrilled to revisit, the Pascal Tampa incident. <laughs> you just dug into sorry, your bag man. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When we get Grange on, all we got to do is like, can we get aggregated on this episode? Yeah, yeah. Can I get anything we're, out of Grange? We're like in the mines scraping for gold. Yeah, right? It's yeah. wild. Yeah, man, listen, that's what we do. No, but we work even, hard for our listeners. Even man. bringing that up and then you think about, like to me, I think about like Nick had two different jobs here in his five years. Like when he was hired, his first job the first two years was to lead a championship contender, right? Yep, like yep. a veteran-laden team. And then you look at Tampa as a transition year. And then the last two years, he's had to coach uh, a new roster and a mix of younger guys and, you know, championship holdover guys. And I, I think for me, when I look at it, it's like Nick did a really good job. I mean, Nick did the best job he could because he won a championship in that sure, first yeah, year of course, of course. for the first part. But for the second part, he fell short in a lot of these things. And that's why he's gone. Right, it'd be an interesting fit in Houston, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why you don't you don't think him and Kevin Porter Jr. is gonna get along? Yeah. Well, um, well, here's a, here's a dream for Houston though. It's like they, uh-huh. they get James Harden, which again before Philly These are huge dreams. By before the way. Philly swept Brooklyn uh-huh. like over the weekend, another report came out that you know James Harden is thinking about Houston. Like, what, can we time these reports? better it's happened on christmas yeah and the day before they win a first round series yeah, that'd be sick man. but like they could potentially have nick nurse uh james harden and yeah. victor Wembayama. that that would be these are three that would be dreams the dream. man these that, are three dreams, I, I wouldn't only put, one of them's gonna come true i wouldn't put that on a parlay either but yeah that'd be that's sick. the best case scenario though 
Um, Anyways. No, you're, you're absolutely right, though. Like, the point about managing people, right? I mean, like, even thinking about it now, it's just like, I mean, if he, if he didn't manage his staff well, mm-hmm. like, what about the roster? No, but... You know what I mean? Like, how, how difficult can assistant coaches be, ultimately? Like, even if you sure. believe the reports about, like, you know, Arl was there and, like, you know, maybe they didn't get along. Mm-hmm. I mean, saw plenty of players uh, work with Arl. I, I don't think there was any issue with players working with Arl, that's for sure. Um, but... Like, it, it, even if that was the case or even it got paranoid, it's like, man, at the end of the day, like, we're just, you're managing a 50-year-old, like, you know, or a 40-year-old. Like, it, it can't be that much harder than, like, managing 20-year-olds who are millionaires and going through a more pressure-packed, you know, environment when they're actually fully, firmly in the public spotlight. So, yeah, I mean, I think the people management aspect is is really important. And I think that, uh, yeah, the next person who comes in has to sort of do that. Because, again, like, when we think, think about coaching, we, we focus so much on, like, the, the tactics portion. Mm-hmm. This guy drew up an amazing play. He's an amazing coach. Like, absolutely. I, I want that out of all my coaches, right? But, like, more than anything else, the head coach is is kind of, wouldn't like, say, like a CEO. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're not actually on the ground and you're getting your hands dirty yeah. most of the time. He needs to be a CE bro. Yeah, that's a succession reference. Yeah, go on. What? Yeah. All right. You know, you need to be a CE bro. You know, you need to handle that business, uh, but that also be a bro to the players. Sure. Yeah, I'm I, trying, I suppose, man. One, one of that, us, one of us needs to watch Succession. No, I, I suppose that will no, be kind of fitting. And that's the case, thing to you know? me is like, you know, I, I see some fans reacting too, being like, "Oh my God, how could we let a head coach go?" And the minute that coach is gone, every other team, like a Houston, other teams are like clamoring for him, right? Like, why yeah, are we yeah. letting a coach? But it's like, I, I mean, think, they had Steven y- Silas for three years. Like, I've, I've, I've been <laughs> no, but the other too, thing man. too is like, you have to have the right coach for for right now, right? Like Nick in retrospect, was the right coach during the championship run. Yeah, but yeah. now you need a different voice. And, and I don't even think this needs to be a definitive criticism on Nick because I'm sure wherever he goes next, yeah. he is going to do that self-evaluation. Uh, you know, he got to make more friends with the reporters. No, but, so just, but we've heard, you've, you've read his book like 50 times, I believe. I've read it You've twice. referenced it many it, times. It, okay, that's cap twice. again. Yeah. Um, but like, um, like he always talks about how every year, you know, as a head coach, he wants to come. But he talked about this as a season ender too. Like he wants to learn, like pick up new things and learn. Right? I sure. think. Yeah, yeah. I think this is huge for Nick at his next job to think about that aspect of coaching too. Right? And I'm sure he will. Absolutely. Like I'm sure he's gonna evolve. So like, yeah. No, it'll be interesting. Is that enough, Nick Nurse? That's pretty good. I, I'm excited to not talk about him and, and maybe talk about other coaching candidates later on in the week. But uh, for now, we're gonna take a break. I've been your host Walu. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out BetRivers yet? Download the BetRivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about BetRivers sportsbook award-winning customer service. It's a whole new game with BetRivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connext Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge the most opinionated maple leaf show out there real kipper and born be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts welcome back to the raptor show on the sportsnet radio network i'm your host with luke you can be joined by producer and co-host alex wong big shouts to michael grange uh for you know, blessing us with scoops in the first segment. Um, and uh, we will talk about the rest of the league now, uh, thankfully, because it was a lot of great basketball. 
But Alex, you have two notes that you want to pass along. No, no, you guys mentioned it briefly in the first segment. So it was announced today that the Kentucky men's basketball team and the Louisville women's basketball team will represent the United States at Global Jam uh, July 12th to the 16th. And you can get more information at globaljam.ca or at Ticketmaster. Get your tickets now. Yeah. That's exciting news, man. I'm excited to go. We went last summer as well, um, which, by the way, we got to see Baylor was the team that came in. Um, and we got to see Keontae George, who has been mocked to the Raptors many single, many times. Oh, what? I'm already starting to kind of look a little bit ahead to the draft in terms okay. of, like, you know, uh, who the Raptors might potentially take. Obviously, we don't know until the draft lottery officially takes place, but most likely the Raptors will pick, like, 13th, I think. Mm. Um, Not if they send Otto Porter there. Yeah. You know, a little <laughs> lucky better, charm. Better, they better send his toe over there. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, He's going to put his toe on the table. Toe, man. Um <sighs> But yeah, no, it was, Global Jam was a really fun time last summer. And, uh, yeah, no, it's great. Every, everybody should go get tickets and, and, and yeah. check that out. So. And plus it's Kentucky. So, I'm, I mean, you'll probably see a lot of, like, former players who were, you know, Canadians on Kentucky. Like a Shea, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah. Yeah, name some more. Uh, anyways, congrats to my friend John and his wife Julie welcomed their first child into the world at 4.20 p.m. Nice. Yesterday. Nice. Everly Lena Ng. Man. Uh, weighing at eight pounds. This is like introducing a boxing match. Oh, I, I feel gonna... like Michael Buffer right now. I, I thought this was a. Uh, uh, let's intro get to... ready to rumble. What? I thought this was the intro to December 4th. Oh, Classic wow. Jay Z song. Show so hope. That's why you need Sean to watch. Sean Carter was born on yeah. December 4th. He fell off a bike. That's when I knew he was special. Yeah, yeah. So is that what you're going to say about Everly? You got to watch Succession, man. Great opening scene last night with Jay Z takeover. I, oh, I, my I, God. I, can't, I, can't, I, wasn't, mm. I wasn't there. Anyways, congrats to John. John, you know, I've told you over and over, don't have kids. But now that you have a kid, Amen. you know, I wish you the best of luck. Amen. Lena, uh, Lena, also the middle name, because that's where um, John and Julie had their first date, I believe. Yeah. So it almost was Everly Harbor 60-ing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyways, at 4.20 congrats, congrats p.m. yesterday, as, as John and Julie welcomed their first child, I believe uh, that was around when the uh, Sacramento Kings were... Going up against the Golden State Warriors. Ooh, man. Evening up the Warriors, even up the series. 126-125 win. Harrison Barnes with a chance to really have his, like, career moment yeah. against his former team, the team that he struggled so much when he was on that 2016-73 win team in the finals. There's always one guy that gets bullied on a team, and he was that guy. I mean, to the point where Festus Azili was playing crunch time over yeah, him yeah. Um, in the finals against LeBron, right. who was... On his great of, greatest of all time behavior. Can we get... Bye. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, anyways, uh, lots of storylines here. Draymond came back and asked to come off the bench. And then told everybody about it. <laughs> told everybody about yeah. it and then told him on the podcast. And of then course. said, I don't want to make it about me. By the way, did he podcast um, after he got suspended or no? He did after the Warriors won game three. So he skipped. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Got um, you. And hey, Dray- listen, Draymond Green show number three. On the podcast, we're still charts. above the Draymond. We Green remain show. number Let's one. Go. Keep thank listening. You, thank you, thank you, front office for firing Nick. I think that thank probably single handedly. Thank you, Masai, for saying you didn't enjoy the basketball this year, as I've been saying for six months. We need that as a drop. Um, Steph Curry almost blew the game at the end. There, they were up yes. five points with forty seconds left, and Steph called a timeout, even though they had just used their final timeout on a challenge. That was a terrible challenge, and it's even worse that they challenged <laughs> a terrible call. Yep. while also exhausting their last. Uh, timeout in doing so. Yeah, and Kings come back, hit a three. 
and hit hit the technical as well. So it was a four point play. Yep. So yep. that's why that's why they're trailing by one. And then there was like thirty one seconds left on the clock. Warriors ball. Mm-hmm. Um, actually less than that. I think it was like twenty seven seconds. And like I was like, man, should the Kings foul here? Because there was like the, a four second. Yeah. If the Warriors run yeah. down the clock and like Kevon Looney does his thing where he like tips an offensive rebound, like the game's over. Right? Sure. Yeah. They don't foul and Steph um goes for a shot with like twelve seconds left on the clock. Yeah. I, I saw a lot of people saying that was a bad shot by Steph. Um, I don't think Steph is capable of taking bad shots. Okay, but I in, believe he's going to make every but shot. But in that situation, things. like, you got to value sure. time management, yeah, though, right? Yeah. So, anyways, he almost became, you know, the, the scapegoat. Um, ah. <laughs> no, we need a different sound for goats and scapegoat. Maybe, like, a lower... Yeah, let's work on that. <laughs> Why are you actively doing noises with... Oh, I'm man. Stay above. We're doing anything to j- stay above Draymond it's right now. It's different when you're... You know, you're doing anything to push Dylan Brooks to tomorrow. Uh, which you have successfully done. Nice. Anyways, they win the game. Yeah. And now it's 2-2. Uh, game five is on Wednesday. Going to check in on Andy Lou, see if we can get him back on for Thursday. We got to call him at Coachella or what? <laughs> we we're going to hear a Dua Lipa in the background. <laughs> this guy harder to track down than Frank Ocean. Um, we're going to hear Boom <laughs> To me, like the series 2-2 now, like, you know, uh-huh. back to Sacramento. I don't think anything's changed from when we talked about um, the series at the beginning. It's like, do the Warriors, are the Warriors just going to, you know, win with that championship experience? Can mm-hmm. the Warriors win on the road? You know, are the Kings, you know, is this moment too big for them, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like it's the exact same storyline now after we've gone through these first four games. Yeah. So um, this series is just incredibly tense. Like, first off, three of the four games have really come down to the wire. Um, and there's just incredible shot making on both sides. Um, and I've already made this joke before on Twitter, but it's like, the level of shot making by these guards like Fox and Steph and Jordan Poole and Malik Monk and, and Clay Thompson, where they just walk down and like they just, there's not really a shot, but they just like flick it up there and obviously it just drops in over and over and over again and guys getting to their shot all the time. It's just so, like, it's like a different sport as compared to sort of how the Raptors operate. You like, I'm s- not even trying to say this in a rude way. I'm saying this as like a, basketball observation way like the, the you, level yeah. of shot making is nuts but you could say that across all the playoffs like i think about jalen brunson for the knicks i yeah, think about okay, devin fair. booker for the suns no fair. but i think your point still stands like you need that though you <laughs> when need you that get in to these this level yeah, absolutely who's the guy that's going to get you those buckets and yeah. a lot of these really good teams have like three guys yeah that can do that for you so and, and i think what's really cool about this series is like the kings are right there like they could have easily been um up 3-1 after last night. Yeah, but and, no no what-ifs when you're going against the champs, and, man. A game like yesterday, yeah. they should have won that one. And man. here's the thing with the Warriors. They could have won all... They had a chance to win all four games already. That they, I, f- that I feel place. like it's a great series because you could say that about... You could say that about the Kings too, right? The Kings, exactly. the Kings could be up 3-1 right now, easily. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what this series and the tension of this reminds me of mm-hmm. is the Netflix series Beef. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. There's just two teams just going at each other nonstop. They're mm. escalating the stakes. There's violence involved. Yeah. They're just going back and forth. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say there are Asians involved yeah. on both sides because so, there's lots of Asians in Sacramento and in, in San Francisco. So they're so. just going to end up hallucinating in the desert. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, so, who, so who is who? Quickly, before we go to our last <laughs> I'm segment. I'm not doing this. No? I'm not ready for this. All right. You, got, you with the cap on is different. I'm man. saying the Warriors are uh, are clearly Amy in this case. You know, the affluent background and okay. all that kind of stuff. No, I like that. And, uh, That's Andy and the Lou Kings right there. are, uh, are, are Steven Yun. This is such an Andy Lou... Uh, Topic. Yeah, we should have said this. Such, no, it's all good. This is a rice in my veins. Segment. No, it's all good. And now it's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Two games tonight. Uh, the one we're focusing on, the Miami Navy Seals are up 2 1 
against the Milwaukee Bucks after a 121-99 win in Game 3 at home. Game 4 is tonight in Miami, and Giannis, who has missed most of this series, reportedly will return to the lineup barring any setbacks tonight uh, with his lower back contusion. Um, this is a must-win for a Milwaukee team that everyone has, you know, picking to, to probably potentially win it all. The Bucks are minus eight, eight-point favorites in Miami tonight. Giannis... Um, sounds like he's returning. Yep. I'm expecting the Bucks to just, you know, if, if Giannis is back, to just blow the doors off tonight. You know, we keep saying this, but we got to give the Heat a lot of credit. Like, they put up a Do really we? good fight, man. No, they have. Do Absolutely we? they have. I refuse. Absolutely, okay? Because even without Giannis, that team is still very difficult to play against, and the Heat have already taken two wins in that scenario. Obviously, with Giannis, it's an entirely different scenario, but I need to see how physically Giannis is doing, first and foremost. Yeah. Right, because you know he, he he not a Steph Curry jump shooter. Like he needs to get in there. Exactly, Giannis needs to be at his very best physically to 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 dominate the game. Mm-hmm. And I also think that like if I'm the Miami Heat, if I'm Eric Spolstra, all I'm showing them game after day after day or hour after hour is that video of Kevin Love stepping in there for a charge, which is essentially I mean that's what caused uh, Giannis to have the back issues in the first place because he slid underneath for the charge. I'm asking every single one of my players to take a charge in Giannis tonight. Hmm. If I if I'm Eric Spolstra and the Navy SEALs, you know what I mean. <laughs> so I, I think on that sense, like, is Giannis going to play with that level of aggressiveness? Is he going to trust his body to do so? And is this? It's, it's a back issue, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, and it's already knocked him out of two games. So it's not like it's not serious. Um, having said all this, I do think Milwaukee will win. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you spend two minutes on Heat culture, man? We had another minute to burn. Could have called the, Jason Jackson. You know how radio goes. Oh my God! Yeah, I like. I, yeah. I, th- I think no, just having not, the having the presence of Giannis there, even if he's not a hundred percent, having a, as absolutely. even a decoy, all of that stuff. Yeah. And 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 add to the fact this is a must win. I just want this series to return to normal, and normal is Milwaukee taking care of business. So minus eight though. Yeah. Why are you always shook whenever it's not a pickem? <laughs> First off, I, I'm clearly this inexperienced is that immigrant mentality, man. The picking lines, You're not but... trying to go to Costco and spot eight points to anybody. Man. No, I'm not. We're but, taking uh, bucks minus eight. That was between the lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's I'm, a whole I'm new taking game. Miami with the points. I don't care. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> After all that? <laughs> this is the worst two minutes of radio man. ever, man. That was between the lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. And that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, 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 rate and you subscribe to the show so we can stay above Dre Pod. Uh, thanks once again to producer and co-host Alex Vaughn. Thanks to Michael Grange. Thanks to Austin Mackey filling in for board producer Derek Randale and Danielle Gauthier. Bye for filling in for Jennifer Rolnick for the YouTube stream. See you tomorrow.